0: I don't think there's an investor ever that bought a property that wasn't nervous about it. So if you're nervous about a property, it's right. You're going to be. Don't be afraid because they're all married.
1: Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two... Are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it they have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line and they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distribution. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The documents at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program, save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Eric Dracon. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, pretty good. How about yourself? I am pretty good as well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Eric He Well, all the stuff he owns, he manages himself. He's a DIY landlord who has managed his midsize portfolio for years, actually since 2000. He left his full-time six-figure IT job to pursue real estate and travel. He's purchased five fourplexes, a single family home, a couple more flips, either as an investor or doing rehabs on. He is based in St. Paul, Minnesota. And his website is on the show notes page, so you can just click there and go check it out. That being said, Eric, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Sure. You were mostly right. I had five fourplexes, a couple duplexes, a single family house, and of course my own. But, um, and I just kind of started, I've been a landlord since around 2000, and around 2006, 7, I wanted to get some more cash flow, because as much as I like my job, there's a reason why they call it work, right? Because it's work, and if it was fun, they would call it fun. So I started looking around 2006, 2007 and everything seemed to be too high price. And then all of a sudden 2008 came around and that was the time to buy. So it worked out pretty well.
1: You asked me before we started recording, you said, Joe, Samantha, who's my right hand person, she told me that you buy some larger stuff, but do you ever buy smaller stuff? And I told you, yeah, I've got three single family homes. And then you asked, are you managing them yourself and doing the maintenance on them? And my reply was, no, if I was, then they would be in foreclosure right now because it would be a train wreck. So you do all of this yourself. You take the exact opposite approach as I take. Can you tell us about that?
0: Sure. As a matter of fact, I manage them all. And as a matter of fact, yesterday, we were just installing a kitchen at one of my rentals. And actually, it's a single family home that I bought. Got it at a pretty good deal. Everything I buy is is at a good deal, by the way. And the tenants moved out. And now I'm getting ready to sell because I want to kind of get out of the city of St. Paul because there's a lot of wall. But I was just installing the kitchen and pretty soon we're going to be installing toilets. And when I say we, it's really me. But that's what we're doing. I just got done repainting and repair off all the lath and plaster and put sheetrock up. And that one, I did hire a company to come and mud and tape it. But yeah, otherwise I do a lot of mud and taping and toilets and kitchen sinks and whatever else needs to be done. Manage it, get tenants, advertise, screen them collect the rents if I have to go over there and collect them, evict them if I have to, although I hire a company to evict, but I still uh, handle it up until that. So yeah, I try to do everything, and it probably increases my take home by at least another 50% or more by doing it that way. Maybe even doubles my income.
1: What's your most and least favorite part of doing everything as a DOI landlord?
0: You know, it's the time, not so much the actual chore because some things are not as much fun as others, but the fact that now I got to go do it instead of just having money come in. Whereas if I had a property manager, the money would just show up at the first of the month or whenever it does. As opposed to oh crap, oh, I got to show it at six o'clock, and I really had something else going on. And it might have been doing nothing other than sitting around, but now I got to get up and do something. Right? So it's the part that takes away from your day, especially now that I'm not working. It seems like every minute of my day is a lot more important, even though I'm not maybe doing it as much important stuff if that makes sense it's just the idea that oh now i have to go do it so that's really probably the thing that's miserable like say there's different chores that are more fun than others but it all kind of it's about the same you got to do it that's part of the game and you got to do something 24 hours a day right you can't sleep all day Mm -hmm. so that kind of forces me to do some things as well it still gives me plenty of time to travel especially most of the time in the winter nobody moves out so i got most of the winter i can get away there's stuff to plenty of things to do now.
1: Now, I think I asked you what's your most and least favorite thing, right? Yeah. And you told me, and the best ever listeners, the least, but you beat around the bush on the most. So what do you enjoy as being a a DIY landlord?
0: Okay. You know, I enjoy the people. I enjoy meeting the people, especially even though I hate to go over there and show a place. Once I get there and meet the people, it's a good social exercise, whatever you want to call it. It's it's good interaction. Because I do like meeting people and and talking to them when, if I'm fixing something... I enjoy talking to them while I'm fixing it and whatever, you know, just kind of being involved in the property. And and of course, around the first of the month is always an enjoyable time when the rents are coming in. (laughs) Um, So I do enjoy that as much as I say, I don't like to be bothered with it because it's not so much a schedule thing. And maybe if I was a little more, I used to manage my time like super good because I had to, because I only had minutes per day to do hours worth of work. Of course now I have more time. So I'm probably less efficient. So probably if I manage my time better these interruptions in my day probably wouldn't be quite as annoying. And it's not really that annoying, but it's just one of those things that you got to do, right? It's always good when I get to the property and I, I'm talking to people and if I got to fix something, I have all the right tools. And if I don't want I can buy them and then that's a tax write-off. So it's like I say, working on a property, it's uh, somewhat inconvenient, but it's a good satisfying experience when you get done.
1: Mm-hmm. The interesting thing, so my friend Theo, he does an episode with me on the Fridays usually and he used to self-manage his properties. He had three fourplexes, and he's self-managing, and now he's since turned it over to a management company. And the reason why is because he took a look at the hourly rate that he was paying himself to go do this stuff. And he, in his case, recognized that he wasn't making a good hourly rate. He saw he could build his portfolio and scale it if he focuses time doing that versus the on the ground stuff in terms of management. Sure. Have you taken a look yep. at that?
0: You know, I have a little bit. Now, when I was working, I only had a few hours a day to do things and I was able to do things pretty efficiently. When I'm working, I'm probably saving 30 to $50 an hour. And if I was able to be able to take that hour and turn it into more than that, it would probably make sense because instead of making thirty or fifty dollars an hour, I can turn it into a hundred dollars an hour. That makes sense. And if you can do a deal, whatever a deal is, whether it's a flip, a rehab, an investment, this or that, you maybe can make that hundred dollars an hour. However, there's a lot of times, especially as a new investor, you're not taking that hour and turn it into a hundred dollars an hour. You're taking that hour and watching TV, mm-hmm. right? And, or you're taking that hour and doing your laundry. Or you're taking that hour and doing something. So as, especially as a new investor, if you can take an hour and even turn it into $5, because I get a lot of people that ask me, "Well, oh, where do you come up with money for these deals? I try to do everything myself. I even change my own oil in my vehicle. And certainly that's cheaper, to, not really cheaper, but from a time perspective, a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. But having said that, what else are you going to do during that hour of the day? If your other option is $0 an hour, well, even $5 an hour saves you $5. bucks. mm hmm So it all depends upon where you're at in your life and what your true opportunity cost is because that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're not really making deals, if you're still kind of figuring stuff out, well, then maybe it's good to get some hands-on experience.
1: Completely makes sense. And I knew you had thought through it given your previous position as an IT professional. I just assumed it. And clearly you have. And I'm just thinking through this I'm not saying one side's the way to go or one. I'm just asking questions. So that's why I'm coming with this next question. You're not a beginning investor. So it doesn't sound like you would fit in that category. So why do you continue to do self-management? I imagine if you put your time towards getting more deals, getting access to more money or whatever, whatever area you're focused, you could scale it more.
0: You know, you're probably right. And at some point, I'm 58 years old now, right? It's not that that's super old. But at some point, I kind of decided that I have enough to live on pretty comfortably. And I don't need any more deals. And not to say that if a deal didn't come along, I wouldn't do it. But I don't need to like scour the bushes. Mm -hmm. I even have a real estate license that as my tenants move out, I try to sell them a house because they're going to buy a house anyway Why why I buy it through me. And I could scour the bushes to try to generate more real estate deals. Or I could look online to find more other things. And keep in mind, all my things have been done creatively. I bought mortgages from the bank. I bought houses at share of sheriff sales. I bought contract for deeds and terminated the contract and got the properties and eliminated IRS liens and did all kinds of crazy, not really crazy, but different creative things to get properties. And I could certainly keep looking for those deals. But at some point, I'd rather just sit on the beach in Florida
1: mm-hmm. and
0: hell with the deals. I got enough to be able to do that. And that's where I'm more focused on my efforts. I'm in Minnesota now, but in about Three weeks. I'll be headed to Florida for about three months. I don't blame you. Um, and that's <laughs> and that's where where my focus is now. So while I'm here at the properties, and you know, I, I can take the money from the properties and certainly hire out some of these things. But as much as I hate to be inconvenienced by the stuff, it, I still like the idea when it's done, it's done right, and it keeps me busy. And you got to do something, right? You can't just sit around. So that kind of forces me to get up and get going on some things and. Like I say, when you look back, because some of these things are in shambles. And then when you fix them up, they look like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's enjoyable to see that. You're tearing apart stuff that, my God, you wonder how, how the stuff even lasted this long. But, you know, you're putting it in with new materials and the way it's supposed to be done rather than the way some guy's a bunch of stuff together. That's the part that kind of is, is rewarding as well.
1: How are you so, able to spend three months in Florida and still be self-managing? Good
0: question. First of all, I'm in a good area where it's a cell phone and I do have a company that I just signed up for. They're a property management company or a property maintenance company. So I would say about half the calls that I get from my tenants, I can answer with a text or call. They want to know something about the property or I can coach them through a maintenance issue. And then maybe the other half are things that need to be fixed, but not right away. And then maybe, and when I say the other half, and the third half <laughs> is stuff that <laughs> that needs to be fixed right as soon as possible. What's the and last half said that? Now, yeah, exactly the three halves. But I don't know if it's a third, third, third. But most of the time, I mean, I've been gone up to three weeks, almost four weeks, and been able to handle everything via the phone or texting. Or sometimes I coach tenants how to. One of my worst fixes that I did over the phone was where we had a hot water heater. Luckily, it was in the basement on a cement floor with a floor drain, but the hot water heater. I should say water heater, right? Because they don't heat hot water. But the water heater was overflowing from the pressure relief valve. So I was able to coach the tenant how to turn the hot water heater down, right? So it's not quite as hot. So that solved the sum. And how to flip that lever back and that lever at the top, you know, the pressure relief lever, Mm -hmm. flip it back and forth a few times to get it to seal again. And then when I came back a week or two later, then I changed the valve. Now, maybe the valve was still good. I don't know. But I changed it anyway because for 10 bucks, I can change it. Actually, maybe it's 12. Had I called a plumber to fix that one rather than try to coach the tenant through it, the plumber would have came and it would have been an after hours call probably. And I don't know what the part would have cost, but I bet the part was way more than $15, which is, I think I actually paid 12, 12 something. Right. So the part probably would have been 40 bucks and then he would have probably charged 150 or 200 to put it in. So it would have been a $300 fix all day long. In my case, I was able to do it for 15 bucks, less than 15. Right. So, that's the kind of thing that if I could do it over the phone, it's good, right? And I've had some where the tenant called me about a torn screen. Well, a torn screen can wait. It can wait a month if it has to. Anyway, waited until I came back and I fixed the screen. So most of the calls, like I say, I can handle over the phone as long as I'm within phone or email. And all my documents are on the Google Cloud, so I can access anything and I back up every day to there. So I store my documents local, but then every day they get backed up there and before I leave I make sure they're all up there. So any of my documents, whether it's a tax document, property document, lease, whatever, is in there. Those obviously in the cloud, you know, Gmail. So I have access to everything I need with my laptop. So I don't need any documents. And of course the phone is there to, to call the tenants. And if I really have to, I can call a company or I can call this property maintenance company that I just kinda signed up for. And the, all my keys are at the property. So People can get, get into wherever they need. That's how I, I'm able to do it thus far. And I'm knocking
1: on wood as we... As we yeah, do. I'll knock on wood with you. My desk is wood. <laughs> Fake wood, I think. I'll knock on it. Yeah. All right, let, let's switch gears to the creative acquisitions that you've done. Can you tell us a story of one of them? Sure. It,
0: one I just recently did. And it was a little more creative than some. I've done short sales and bought them a chair of sales and things like that, right? And all you got to do is show up and do it. So they're not really any rocket science. But this one was a little more creative. So, what I did is, and my tenants actually called me and they they said, and here's the reason why you want to make sure that everybody knows that you're a property investor and you're in real estate because people will call you when there's a deal, maybe. So, they called me and said, My parents are looking to sell their house. Are you interested in buying a house? And I said, You know, sure. You know, I'm always interested if the price is right, right? I'm not interested in buying some house at some price that somebody tried to sell it for six months. and couldn't sell it. And now they want me to buy it at that price. But having said that, I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it. So we took a look at it and it was a property in St. Paul, not the greatest area, but not terrible. And they bought it for, I'll just throw some numbers out here, for 60000 bucks in 2012. And this is three years later. So I think it's worth at least $60,000, right? If they paid sixty three years later, properties went up since 2012. And Zillow said it was worth 100, and the property tax value is worth about 75 and something. It's got to be worth at least 60. So they say, look, all we want is 45,000 for the thing. I think, geez, that's a pretty good deal. And the only condition is we'll either rent back from you, or let us live in here six months for free so we can move out, and then it's yours. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good deal. So then I made the deal with them, 45 grand.
1: Which options you pick?
0: I just bought it from them directly. Is what I was going to do.
1: Didn't they ask, in addition to 45000 we want to either rent it back from you or live in it for six months for free?
0: That's true. Yep. And I hadn't really gotten to that part yet.
1: Okay. Got it. All right. I'll shut up. up. Okay. Yep.
0: And that's fine. The way I was going to do it, let them keep renting forever. They can, you know, whatever. Sure. Because I'm a landlord. It doesn't matter. So then I sent everything to the title company. The title company comes back and said, look, we can pay off the underlying contract for deed of 38000 but what are we going to do with this $25,000 IRS lien? <laughs> And I said, well, geez, that's a good question. What are we going to do with it? It's no longer a deal. I don't want it. So then I called the owners and I said, look, we can't do it because it's a $25,000 deal. However, I'll contact the contract for deed owner and see what I can work out. So I contacted him and in talking to him, he mentioned, why not just buy it from me? So I bought the contract for deed from him and I paid him $38,000 at that point, $38,000 and change. He assigned the contract for deed to me. It's just an assignment. It's pretty simple. Then we canceled the contract for deed because the tenants, the owners, whatever you want to call them, did not pay the balloon payment. And that's why they were selling it, right? They bought it on a contract for deed for 60000 They paid it down to thirty-eight, and they couldn't make the $38,000 balloon payment because they had bad credit and no money. So the IRS lien, when you cancel a contract for deed because the monthly payment wasn't being met or the balloon payment wasn't being met, the IRS lien that is on the property really isn't on the property, it's on the owner's equity in the property. So when you extinguish the contract for deed, you also extinguish the equity, which then the IRS lien gets off the property. It still stays with them because it's an income tax lien. If it was an actual property tax lien, that's different. That stays in the property. But because it's an income tax lien, then that goes off the property, and I picked up this property instead of 45,000, now I get it for 38 and change. Hmm. So, it was a better deal. And then I explained to them that they could live here for a few months and it takes about three months to cancel contract for deed. So I let them live there for three months because I kind of had to, it wasn't really my property yet, <laughs> but I did tell them that I'll give you three or four months of free living. And then we'll start charging rent. But they were fine with it. They lived there a little over a year, a year and a half, give or take. And then they couldn't afford that either. And I was just charging basically what they were paying in their contract for deed payment. And they paid every month on time for about a year and a half and then they decided they needed to move out. But now I'm rehabbing it and then we're gonna get rid of it and probably sell it for around one sixty. Wow. How much
1: are you putting into you it?
0: Know, I'm gonna put in some windows for about maybe fourteen, a lot of labor and it's probably gonna be five eh, it's probably gonna be maybe ten thousand dollars worth of other materials that I'm doing mm-hmm. and a lot of labor. So I picked it up for let's say 40, because I did hire an electrician right after I bought it to change the fuses to circuit breakers. So forty plus let's say fifteen for windows, that brings it up to fifty five, and let's say another fifteen, which brings it up to seventy, for I'm gonna sell for one forty to one sixty. Cause Zillow said now it's worth about one forty-five. And in the spring things will go up and it's gonna look like a million bucks when I get done. Brand new kitchen, brand new bathroom. And it's gonna be clean, new carpet upstairs. I'm gonna use a laminate vinyl plank for the main floor. So it's gonna look like a million bucks when we get done.
1: Huh. Why are you deciding to take this approach and sell it versus hold on to it? long-term? You know, It's in the city of St.
0: Paul, which the city of St. Paul, it's a little bit of a pain to deal with. You got to get the rental licenses. So I bought it from two elderly people. When they say elderly, the, the guy was like 62 and she was a little bit less, but he had already had a kidney transplant and he was in rough shape and, and they didn't want to go up and downstairs. So in the downstairs room, they had a bed. And the city of St. Paul comes in on their annual inspection and they say, you can't have a bed in that room and they don't want to go all the way up the stairs to the bedroom. And then you start looking at the bedrooms upstairs, if I did have beds in there, and, you know, some of the windows might be a little smaller. Because the house was built in 1885, right? Yeah. It's ain't a new house. So some of the stuff isn't designed from an egress standpoint. So I think what would happen is if I started renting it out, then all of a sudden we'd have inspections, and they say, oh, you can't have a bed in that room. And then pretty soon, I mean, the house is old. All the windows are small. Maybe it's got zero bedrooms when you come down to it. I don't know. But I think if I just sell it, then I don't have to deal with the inspections of St. Paul and who's going to be in what room. And, and then plus, so then I'm going to do a 1031, I believe, and, and buy a property in Florida, is, is my uh, my, mm-hmm. my take on it.
1: Are your other properties not in St. Paul?
0: My well, other properties are not in St. Paul. You are correct. That's okay. the only one. And it was a, kind of a one off, but it sounded like a good deal. And I still think it is. And we'll find out when it actually sells. But having said that, you bought a house for say 40 grand you're going to sell it two or three years later for 1 140 at least. I think that's a good deal.
1: Based on your experience as a DIY landlord and someone who has shown tremendous resourcefulness in putting deals together, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: I mean, what I could give to somebody
1: else. Yes, sir.
0: Okay. So I would say this. First of all, every property can be a deal at the right price. you got to figure out how to get it at that price. Secondly, I don't think there's an investor ever that bought a property that wasn't nervous about it. So if you're nervous about a property, it's right. You're going to be. Don't be afraid because they're all nervous, right? My very first one I bought, I had to come up with a mortgage. It was double my house mortgage. I was like, holy crap. But it takes guts, right? Because the real estate game, there's a ton of money in it, but that's because there's a ton of risk. You got to understand your risk, understand the risk mitigation processes. If you get into a property, how can you get out of it if you have to? Can you dump it and just lose a few grand, maybe on a commission, or are you going to be way underwater? Because if you're way underwater, don't do it. So I know you've bought a lot of properties too, and you, I know you've weighed the risk on all of them. And I get all, all the time people come to me, and, and sometimes they'll say, Oh, if you can find a property where I can make a quick 50 grand on, let me know. Well, first of all, there's no property like that because if there is, I'm buying it, I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> right? But there's all kinds of property you can make fifty grand on, but it ain't right now and it's gonna be risky. You might have to buy it for a hundred, put fifty into it, and then make another fifty. But it's not buy it for a hundred and sell it for a hundred fifty the next day. There's pretty much no such thing.
1: You ready uh, for the best ever lightning round?
0: Sure, you want me to tell you one more story about buying a good property?
1: I'd love to hear that second story. Yes, go ahead. Let's hear it.
0: Okay. So we bought another property. Now this one I did go in with a partner. Property was built in two thousand five, sold for two forty five back then. And it was going for sale, the sheriff sale, for like 130 But we need to be the third lien holder. The first lien holder was in for about 130 The second lien holder was in for 60 And we were going to be the third lien holder, which we would have had to buy out both of them. But to become a lien holder, we gave the owner 4000 bucks to have a $150 mechanics lien on the property. That gets us a lien holder position. Then at the sheriff sale, what happens is the first lien holder's is already in. The second lien holder can buy out the first or forever hold their cards. They did not jump into it. Us as the third lien holder, you know, with a four thousand dollar gamble, we bought the property for one thirty. We eventually sold it. When I say eventually, like three weeks later, we sold it for two hundred. Wow! So, you know, and we put about fifteen into it, including the four thousand. So, you got to understand foreclosures, and you got to understand how liens work on some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you got to take some risks. We took a four thousand dollar risk. But anyway, that was that property.
1: Thank you, thank you for telling that story. And yes, that is, in my opinion, that is real estate. You got to be an expert in a couple different areas. You ready for the best ever lightning round?
0: Sure. Best ever lightning round. Go ahead.
1: All right. I will go ahead. We will go ahead. But first, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, Make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at com. Okay, best ever book you've read.
0: Best ever book. I read The Art of the Deal by Trump. That was a pretty good book, I thought, about how to make things happen. I do a lot more periodicals and web stuff. Dave Lindall has some good stuff. I, I bought his kit one time, and that had a tremendous amount of information. But I don't really read a whole lot of books. There was a book by Peter Lynch, I can't remember, but that was a real good book too, more about investing than than real estate.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: Best ever deal I did, that was probably that one that I just told you about where we put the mechanics lien on the property, and we picked it up, we spent three weeks worth of work, and at the end, we each made about 27 grand.
1: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: Good question, because I'm usually pretty good, but a lot of times you buy a property and probably more so, I made a lot of mistakes on tenants. You could say that, but now I'm a little sharper on tenants. And, and it seems like that's what happens, right? You get smarter with age or smarter with every bad tenant teaches you. But I used to be a Section 8 landlord. And I used to buy properties and I had Section 8 tenants. And to be honest with you, that was a not, you it wasn't so much a Section 8 program. It's the quality of the tenants, right? So you got to understand tenant quality if you're going to be a landlord. And if you do that, you won't have a problem.
1: How can the Best Ever listeners get in touch with you?
0: They can get a hold of me on my blog, which is no-nonsense-landlord.com. And once again, all the contact information is there. And feel free to drop me an email from there. If you want to call, usually when I reply back with my email, all my contact information is there. My phone number, email address, whatever. Feel free. I could leave my phone number here if you want. Sure. What Um, is it? 651-283-7651. You can text me
1: first if you want. Cool. Well, Eric, thank you for being on the show and talking to us about lessons learned in your approach as a do-it-yourself landlord, the opportunity cost as you see things for doing it versus hiring out, how you have brought on team members, how you're able to go to Florida for three months during the Minnesota winter and still have the money coming in every month and addressing the majority of the maintenance requests or the calls and inquiries that you get from your residents. Really interesting to talk about that as well as the creative acquisition approach that you've taken and multiple deals. And you walked us through or talked us through the IRS lien as well as the share of sales. So thanks for being on the show, my friend. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Joe, and you take care.
1: Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation Podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at com.